every business owner, nobody does it as good as you. So you kind of get in that drowning spot where you just keep doing that. You slowly move across. Well, when you take yourself out and find a new love or a new passion, like I'm having to fall in love with marketing. I'm having to fall in love with, you know, standing outside the business and letting my employees shine in the in the positions that I hired them for. Mm-hmm. And then I just steer the ship. So my love has to change or I'll forever be a tech and will forever be small. The road of an entrepreneur is guaranteed to be askew. And there are always big questions to overcome. How are tech founders bootstrapping their way to the top while spending money from their own pockets? How do they scale a startup that is primed for a successful exit, yet still remain profitable? These are the types of questions that this podcast will help answer, and it will shine light onto the livelihood of entrepreneurs, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the dirt in between. My name is Jim Barnish, and welcome to The Dirt. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Dirt. I am your host, Jim Barnish, and we have a very special guest for you today. He has followed in the footsteps of many great entrepreneurs before him, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, you know, normal folk, uh, starting out as a business in a California garage and scaling it into a multi-million dollar business. Well, in today's conversation, we're going to take a deep dive into his journey towards becoming a $30 million business and how being an IT and cybersecurity thought leader has played a critical role in the journey. So. Josh Holloway, founder and CEO of 7th Dimension. Say hi to everyone. Hey, everybody. Jim, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, absolutely. Great to have you. Let's let's start with some of the basics. Who is who is Josh Holloway and what is 7th Dimension? Oh, man. Uh, so for that one, Josh Holloway, it's a good question. Uh, it's an existential crisis waiting to happen, right? Uh, no, you know, I'm just a kid that was born in L.A., you know, just like anybody else had my trials and tribulations in the 80s growing up. Cool thing was, is when I was about four or five years old, my mom had a friend who had some of the first computers and to entertain me, they sat me in front of them and it was kind of like, have fun, good luck. You're going to break it. And as a four year old, of course I broke it, didn't get in trouble. So that was awesome. And then it kind of sparked that, that, that love for the computer and grew from there. You know, I, I grew up anytime I could get my hands on a computer, I would work on people's computers. I mean, we, we put together some of the worst piece together computers you could think of just to get them working, you know, good old 286, 386, 486, and then uh, on up. I helped my my teacher in high school with his computer classes. We, I did one of the first computer programming classes they offered, the school I went to, and then just kind of kept growing on the, in the IT field. IT wasn't my initial passion. My initial passion was uh, architecture. And I want, I love to design and I love to, you know, to kind of create that drawing. And I, I sat down when I was about 14, my dad sat me down with a, a real architect and he, he left me with him for eight hours. And that was seven hours and 55 minutes too long. And I spent a day with the gentleman. And what I learned from it was he was not happy. He was not happy in his job. Uh, he actually really deterred me from going down that architecture route. Like I'd picked a school. I was interested in Louis Obispo, so Cal Poly. Never, never made it there. Never became an architect. But I always had a desire or an idea when people would ask me, even when I was 10, they're like, what do you want to do? I want to own a company. Didn't know what it was. Didn't know what that meant. But I wanted to own a company. And I started piecing that together. 
when I was about 19, I got my first consulting gig uh, while I was in school. Uh, worked at HP, worked at Earthlink, uh, worked at a couple other places, and then just steadily built up what Seventh Dimension is and, and what it's growing into. I, I feel like as I mature and the gray sets into the beard, so does Seventh Dimension. It matures. Um, our first logo was a little whimsy and, and, and a little flamboyant. I, I, I drew it when I was 19. Um, so no marketing thought process. It was just like, this is a cool logo. Let's slap it on a shirt. The business was kind of the same, right? You, you, you piece it together and you grow. So I was super young starting the business. I grew with it. Hopefully the business and I are maturing and, you know, kind of looking forward to see how it continues to grow and we kind of phase out at the end. You know, everybody has an end goal, right? Yeah. And when I, when I tell people what you do, judge me on this one, please. I, I always like to say it's uh, letting the owners and founders like myself, like yourself, get back to work doing what they love and not worrying about the IT limitations. You know, for like founders, it, there's a paradigm shift. If, if I got back to what I, I love, I would be a tech, right? And I, I think that's a mistake that we make. Hmm. When you become an owner, you, you have to start to make different decisions. You have to start leading the business, right? So often do you see management posters where it's a type of leader, right? You, you have the manager who's you're sitting up on a big chair and everybody's carrying them across the line, or you have the one that's at the front. Yeah, at the front of the rope, pulling everybody across the line with them. And I think that even I've made the mistake too, as we were growing, I remained a tech because I loved it and I didn't nurture the business. And of course the business grew because I was a tech, I could do the work and I'm every business owner, nobody does it as good as you. So you kind of get in that drowning spot where you just keep doing that, you slowly move across. Well, when you take yourself out and find a new love or a new passion, like I'm having to fall in love with marketing. I'm having to fall in love with, you know, standing outside the business and letting my employees shine in the, in the positions that I hired them for. Mm -hmm. And then I just steer the ship. So my love has to change or I'll forever be a tech and we'll forever be small. So I'm going to rephrase what I said then. Let the owners and founders get back to work doing what they should be doing, building their business and not worrying about the IT, IT limitations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> well, you, regardless, you're bringing some great things into the world. Uh, you had a lot of customers largely started in California, Nevada, uh, but have really broadened that reach since. But before we hop into where you guys are today, I just want to hop back in the time machine for a little bit. Yeah. You know, back to one or two million in revenue where a lot of folks get stuck, right? Especially managed service providers or MSPs like yourself, where 87% of them are sub one million in revenue, right? right. Um, so what, how did you get beyond that, that one million or two million dollar mark? What are some of the things that you were able to uh, overcome? You know, that one, it was, it was bodies. That was the hardest thing. Right. There was so much work. So the way I got past a million was I had no life and I, I, I did it wrong. Just the pure honesty. Right. I had no life. I, um, got a divorce. Right. I work 80 to 120 hours a week. I lived the old classic developer lifestyle, even with a family. And 
for me, it was having a hard time finding people, having the money to pay the people. So I did the work. So as I did the work and I gave up a portion of myself to, to, to build it, uh, that's how I got across the line. Now, would I have done it the same if I, if I, you know, if I can go back now, I would have done it a little bit different. I think the other thing I would have done is while I was building up, I would have put a little bit more effort into marketing. And that was something that I learned from like Robin Robbins, right? You use marketing and, and that would have pushed me over. We did a, we did up to 1.2, 1.4 million purely on word of mouth and it, and, and it even grew past that, right? We were in the two million range when I really started going like, we need to do some marketing. We have to get better reach. The referrals are great. If you can grow a business, a couple million, just purely on referrals, I would like to think we're doing a pretty good job and, and we're taking care of our customers. But when you're that, that sub, you, we take on so much to try and, and give a good product that we forget that we can still give a good product and start to branch out and start to maybe call in somebody to help us out half the, half the time of the week, you know, having a, in person, a person help you 20 hours a week rather than 40, because that's what you can afford. I should have done that. That would have been great. Mm -hmm. If I would have put a little bit of money into to, to marketing and maybe grew a little bit faster, that would have been good too. But um, it was a drag um, trying to come across that line, uh, but it is hard work. And I mean, I don't regret the work. I don't regret the growth. I just kind of regret some of the, the outcomes to, to that path. What are some of the, you mentioned marketing, you mentioned fractional versus full-time roles or being able to basically bring on talent that you can afford, right? Right. What, what's the number one hire you would have made that you didn't on your path towards a few million in revenue? Oh, tech. I would have made, I sh should have hired a tech a little bit earlier. I hired my dad about a, a year or two past. I probably should have hired a tech. So if I would have just hired a tech two years before that, or at least a part-time tech, I think things would be a little bit different. And that comes down to getting out of your own way and working on the business, not in it. Yeah, I've heard that once or twice before, I think. Or it's 37 times. Yeah, there, I think there's at least six books written on it. Yeah. Yeah, certainly every episode, it's probably come up at least once. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I... <laughs> So, all right, so let's fast forward a little bit because most of the folks listening or many of the folks listening are are beyond that couple million point. They might have hit a roadblock at five or 10 million or you know, something along those lines. Um, you know, once you got a little bit further down the line in revenue, how did how did the challenges change and what are some of the strategies that you use to overcome them? So a couple of the challenges, I think, is understanding in each industry where your, your, your revenue roadblocks are. So as businesses grow, they create different challenges. When you're the sub one, two million, obviously it's paying for bodies and getting the right people. When you're above that, so for, for MSPs, we have what's called the death valley from two million to five million, right? That's where you're, you have money to get people, but you're still in your own way. You're starting to put money into marketing, still in your own way. You have growth where you're trying to grow, but you're trying not to grow where you don't shred yourself and fall apart at the same time. And, and then you're trying to find good talent. I think the biggest thing that pushed us over the edge was like 
uh, finding the right people now. And it wasn't a home run every time. Like it's never going to be a home run every time, but you, you look at that experience and you grow from it. So what I started doing is figuring out what are my, what are my, my roadblocks, right? Like between two and 5 million, I know it's the Valley of death. Well, between, I believe it's six or 7 million, 10 million. That's another one where you start to grow so big, your, your challenges change and you have to overcome them. So there's, there's a slow growth period. For us, we started looking towards hiring people who, one, the easy answer is like-minded, but two, the ones that can actually handle businesses of the size you want to grow to. So I'm not hiring a person to work in a $1 million business, a $2 million business. I'm hiring a person who can work in a five, a 10, a 15, and a 20. And that's what I'm looking for. When I, when I interview anybody, it's like, can you handle a workload when we're this big? Mm-hmm. And can you handle a, wor- a workload when we're twice as big? And then look at like what they're doing to always learn and always grow. Like I'm reading books. I'm listening to books. I mean, my Audible account, I think I get awards all the time for how many books I've listened to. Like I'm trying to better myself so I could be a better boss. And then I try and trickle that down. And along the way, people either agree or don't agree. And they're here and they're, or they're not here. But when you start to look f- at your future growth, and hire the people to get to that point, you're starting to make it. You're starting to make it. And then it's the culture. That's hands down, it's the culture. So when you when you say culture, what, is, what does culture mean to you? I would say it's the overall spirit of the business. It, it's kind of weird to say it like that, but when you come in and everybody's talking, but they're not wasting time. Like it's, it's not like they're, they're all circled around the... the the, the water fountain, getting a drink and just kind of wasting your time. It's there is levity to the conversation. There is positive like reinforcement back and forth where employees are helping one another. Like that's a good culture, right? Everybody's kind mm-hmm. of striving to grow. And then you can, you can weed out or you can pick out the ones who did start on board and then they just can't quite keep up. You're outgrowing them or maybe the, the personal matters stop them from growing, you know, and you can see where they start to weed out. I mean, and culture inside a business as a whole is kind of like a, it's like a human, it has its own psyche, right? And, yeah, and right. as you grow, you will push out what doesn't quite work or you'll push out what is trying to hold you down. Right. Like right now, I feel like we have a great culture. We have a great staff and we walk in and music is playing. People are on the phones, they're chatting, there's good conversation, they're helping people on the phones. And when management comes into management media and, and they notice it and they say something where they're like, hey, the vibe out, out in the pit is awesome. It's great. Like, how do we keep that going? And we've done it through employee recognition. Uh, we've done it through obviously trying to find the right people. And we're really starting to see where that is a huge, huge thing to how businesses grow. Yeah, that's that's cool. What uh, what advice would you give to somebody that that may not be as unfortunate in in as fortunate of a situation as you with a great culture, with a team that's driving it, right? With a team that's weeding out its own people versus it needing to be a, you know, uh a, a, a culture of top down top down madness, if you will. What's the top tip you would give to founders who might want to work towards that? You know, I can speak to like MSP founders because I know typically we're tech guys 
that had enough sense to build a business and then an, enough lack of sense to build a business. We're a lot of us are robotic, right? Like we don't think about how an employee feels or, or, or how, um, how their day is going because we're just trying to accomplish a job. Hands down, find somebody who has that human touch, uh, who, who really an operations person who can drive the human element better than you can. Like I'll get out of the way all day, every day for my operations manager who has way more years than I do in multiple industries. They worked at the, some of the big companies that you mentioned. They came in on board, obviously looking for people who have worked at multi-million dollar businesses and above. They bring a different aspect. They interact with the employees in a more humanistic way versus like, hey, did you jump on that ticket? Hey, did this get fixed? You know, stuff like that. So uh, to sum it up, find somebody who is the exact opposite of you, where you're lacking, and then be okay with recognizing that you have a fault or you're lacking something because we're not 100% perfect. And find that person who fills that gap because that's going to be a, a, a culture completer, right? That's how you're going to come that full circle. Yeah, well said. So let's think outside of the robotic context now with some of the growth that you've done and, um, and achieved. And I want to look at it from two lenses, right? First, I want to look at it through some of the organic uh, customer acquisition you've done, right, on your own. And then the inorganic or M&A, right? Okay. I know you've acquired two businesses as well. Yep. So uh, let's start on the organic side because you guys have done some really cool stuff. Um, I love a lot of the content that you're developing. It's 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 very clearly working for you as well. And, and you're being thought of as a thought leader in the space, which is pretty awesome in and of itself. So I'm just going to kind of leave it as a as a blank question. What have you done on the organic side that has allowed you to be able to scale? Oh, yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, on the organic set side, I think what it is is the way the way I interact with clients, right? I have no problem holding my hand up and assuming fault. I have no problem going in front of a client and saying, hey, here's your problems. This is where we got to go. I think a lot of times where the personalities melded with the client is where they they typically rep, like referred us to other businesses because I can interact with them. I've been told multiple times that, hey, I, I don't always kill everybody with tech speak and acronyms. So I really, I think it's the, it's the interaction and, and the understanding, right? So our clients see that we bring it to their level of their level of understanding. Like I can talk acronyms all day. I can, I can talk technology all day, but the, the executive on the other side, that's not their job. They're trying to run a business. Mm -hmm. They don't, they don't, they don't care, you know, what the cybersecurity tool is doing. They care that they're being protected. And I think a lot of our interactions there have really helped us grow because that's where that referral comes from, where they're like, yeah, talk to Josh. He'll take care of you. He, he won't make you feel unintelligent and, and he'll get you the answers and they'll, they'll get things taken care of. So what, what else from a um, direct, direct marketing or direct sales have you done that's allowed you to scale? So that one, we, 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 we have a couple of uh, funny campaigns where it um, hopes fun a little bit, uh, maybe at the heartstrings where somebody may be having a bad current provider or IT provider. You think about it, people are always afraid of change, right? 
one of the biggest changes is when you you're having a bad experience and you're welcoming another provider in who may may be the exact same may not you don't know so so we kind of poked fun at it a little bit gotten a lot of uh, positive feedback on it and um you know we we, we pretty much provide our our prospects aspirin mm-hmm. yeah as, as one of them you know here's some here's some aspirin you, you know does this provide is your provider causing you to need a couple of these <laughs> Uh, we get a lot of laughter out of that. Uh, I've actually had a couple of people take the uh, the Advil and then like we'll, we'll call them to check in and they're like, hey, thanks for the Advil. I had a rocker of a headache when I saw this. And I sat there for a second and I was like, why Why did she take the Advil? <laughs> you know, like, that's very trusty. <laughs> that, is, that is like super trusty, you know, and if, you know, and of course it's sealed. Of course it's, you know, like. Today, day and people, age, you never know. You never yeah, know. yeah. Of course, it's sealed, but you know, we don't want people to take the Advil. It's more of the hilarity of what they're receiving. Yeah, here they are. They, they they laugh about it, and that kind of starts the conversation. And you know, I think that the campaigns are more like thought provoking. We don't typically want to lead by fear, uh, but I think in our industry, fear is tr- or fear is truth in some instances. Mm-hmm. Like if you think about like looking at the dark web and stolen information on the dark web, if you're receiving a report on that, yeah, that's a little bit of fear, but that's also a truth. That information is there. You should be doing something to protect yourself. So yeah, sometimes there's a little bit of fear usage in there, but at the same time, it's a truth usage. Like, hey, look at what's happening. Look at what's there. Are you being taken care of? And if you're not, give us a shot. Mm-hmm. Let's do a scan. We'll show you all faults and then we'll move, we'll move forward on it. Yeah, that's, that's terrific. I, you know, a lot, a lot of people talk about how content marketing too is, is, uh, is not working for them, right? Or how marketing in general is not working for them. And what do you say to those people now that you've got marketing working for you, now that you've got a lot of content out there that's worked for you? What do you say to those folks other than be patient? You know, it's funny as the first answer was going to be, be patient, but you <laughs> took the words out of my mouth. So now I have to come up with something good. Uh, no, honestly, I had the same problem. The, the, the previous campaign that I was talking about, we, yeah, people liked it, but we received no tra- traction initially. I think if anybody's going to do it, one, don't give up, right? Don't, don't give up on it at, at all. It's, it's not a winner overnight. It might, you might get one or two overnight. But that should just be the catalyst to keep pushing you, right? So you got to keep going. I think for us, we didn't gain traction until the fourth or the fifth month running our campaign. Uh, my my uh, salesman, Paul, who who helps me run this, I think we were two and a half, three months in and he was like, it's not working. Let's do something else. I was like, sorry, man, this this is where we're, we're staying. Like, stick with it. Uh, we've got to see this through at some level. And now it's one of the ones we depend on the most. We've tried other campaigns. We typically give everything six months and, and really look at the numbers and kind of gauge or, or take a temperature to how did people react to it. Some people have adverse reactions to an offering of free hours, you know, and maybe it was because the message was delivered incorrectly. Um, others, like they love the aspirin, right? You know, they, they kind of love like the, the thought provoking ones with a little bit of hilarity. Mm-hmm. So stick at it, you know, follow, you know, follow it through and then also volume, right? You can't send 25 letters, you know, a week you can, it's, it's a volume situation, right? So send, 
70, send a hundred, how many calls you can make a week. That's what you want to push yourself for. And then as you grow and get better, add more, but it's, it's a volume business, right? So IT industry, we have to touch a potential client upwards of 10 times that can span years, right? Mm-hmm. That's not a, that's not a out the park overnight situation. Those happen few and far between. They're great when they do just have one happen. But a lot of times it's 10 touches and how are you going to, how are you going to get those 10 touches, right? You're going to send them something like a, a campaign with an aspirin on it. Maybe you're going to send them some tech tips. Maybe you're going to, you're going to give them a free report for some dark web information that's currently out there for sale. Um, you just, you have to keep at it and you have to keep a high volume. Don't, don't think you'll win it 25 simple letters. It just doesn't happen. No, that's, that's great. Volume is, volume is the name of the game. I mean, there's, there is such a thing as, as really highly targeted situations where you, you, you may have a very niche business and you, it's a different approach. Yeah. Right. Um, but, but in your game, in many people's game, volume is, volume is everything. So, uh, well said there and patience. Uh, yeah. Gotta have patience. <laughs> so let's hop to the, to the, uh, inorganic or the M and A side, uh, for a minute then. How did, I know you've done two acquisitions, right? One most recently, which is on your website, and you're going through the integration of uh, being Reno Computer Services, and then one prior. Talk to me a little bit about what those acquisitions represent to you, and why why acquiring businesses has become a part of the philosophy of Seventh Dimension. So, my first one was about it was about growth. And I found a, a gentleman named Steve Rayleigh and he, we had like-minded business structure. You know, we, we wanted to grow. We knew we needed bodies. Uh, he had, he had um, a good outlook. He was pretty heavy into schools. I had done a couple. So we just kind of had lunch several times, kind of melding of the minds. And I would say the first acquisition was like a milestone, right? It's a, it's a, it's a game changer. If you do it, if you do it right. How about that? We'll, we'll go with that one. It's a game changer. Actually, it's a game changer if you do it right or if you do it wrong, because at the end of it, hopefully you'll come out wiser. Yeah. You know, you'll, you'll learn something. Either it was painful, you know, lesson or it was a good lesson for me with Steve. It was a great, it was a great lesson. And, you know, this happened back in 2012, uh, acquisition finished in 2013. Uh, so we're, we're 10 years deep and I think it's great. Like him and I working together is is awesome. The next one for like uh, Reno Computer Services. I like this one. This one is funny because I was just looking for businesses to acquire in the Reno area because we wanted to break out in the area, but we wanted uh, local like talent, people who had local uh, touches. And I kind of walked into a couple of different MSPs just to introduce myself and say, hey, I'm, I'm in the area, I'm looking. And for Reno Computer Services, the funny one with this one is I came in, um, Scott's brother, uh, Bill, he, he hit me up at the door, gatekeeper, right? Who are you? Why are you here? What do you want? And I said, you know, I, I gave him the spiel and he ceremoniously ejected me. It was, it was actually kind of funny. I, I walked to the car laughing and I, I left my card behind. Um, and I found out later that uh, like Scott was there from computer services. He was in his office, but Bill kind of blocked me, uh, which, hey, rightfully so. We all have good gatekeepers. Um but it was just kind of funny because we joke about it now where it was like, hey, remember when you came in and kicked you pretty much right back out? Like, why are you here? Uh, for that one, I think it was also, another, it's another milestone, right? Um, it's another learning. I'm, we're bringing in another executive level mind. 
we're expanding the business to another geographical location, even though Seventh Dimension from about mm, 2010 on had had touched, I think, 27, 30 different states doing work remotely here uh, in California. This is kind of our geographical expansion, right? This is where we have full-blown offices, people working at both, um, trying to get past that paradigm of every office feeling like it's its own island, mm. you know, kind of situation. How is everybody incorporated? We talk about having a decentralized, centralized, like help desk, where at the drop of a hat, if California's power goes out, which happens from time to time, um, you know, the other side can kind of take the calls. And if the, if the other side has power failure, snow, and nobody can get to the office or there's issues, like we can continue to help everybody's clients. And I know a lot of people say that it's, it's, it's a difficult path when you're doing a, a decentralized or centralized help desk. It doesn't quite work out. So knowing everybody else's pain points, trying to overcome that. So our next milestone is, you know, how do we take a single office and grow it beyond those borders and then have where everybody feels it's still that one, that one company, that one family, no, no one person on an island by themselves. So that, that's our next milestone of growth. And, and when you guys look at, look at growth, is it more acquisitions? Is it uh, more, you know, more organic growth? Is it, you know, what, is it a mix of a bunch of things? How, how do you look at the future? Oh, that, yeah, that is a funny, it's a, it's a D all the above you know, multiple choice, right? Um, yes. So acquisitions, those, if you do them, some, they'll cost you money. That might slow down your growth. You've got to be careful there. I've known, I've known a couple of uh, MSPs that have done that where they, they grew and they bought problems, right? So they just expanded their problem. So for us, we're a li- I think we're a little bit smarter about that when it comes to, to mergers and acquisitions. So obviously we'll keep looking, um, may change up the strategy. But uh, definitely M&A, looking for other businesses who are sub 1 million, who want to grow or want to grow big. I mean, e- even uh, businesses that are 1 or 2 million that just feel like they're, they're stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, this, you know, like I know we can help them. Like I know I can come in and, and, I, and I can help. Like throughout my merger with uh, Reno Computer Services, I was already lending marketing. I was already helping grow. They were able to take on businesses where they would would have said no because they just couldn't handle it. But because we just came in immediately and started to augment, they had explosive growth. So, and then the next piece would be, I think it would be processes and marketing, right? So if we continuously improve our processes, we continuously improve our marketing, our reach, that will be additional growth. And then finally, you know, referrals, right? That um, great customer experience. One of the things we just recently released on our website is kind of how we view customer experience or customer service. I tell my guys all the time, our job is 90% customer service, right? People are not calling us because they're happy and they want to tell us about having a good day. They're calling us because they're upset. Something is broken. They're having a horrible day and we're there to fix it. So of course, we're going to get that major blowback. Our goal is that how do we change their perception at that time and give them good customer service to where they're, okay, my stuff is being taken care of. I can take a deep breath. I can worry about what's going on in my life because my computer is no longer my my pain. 
right? It's, it's not, it's not taking up encompassing all my time. Mm-hmm. So I think with that one too, is that referral, because people start to see how uh, we provide that, that customer experience, that customer service. So, so for, for that one, yeah, we, we just decided here recently that instead of always talking about it in our, our technical business reviews or showing it when people call us, now we're starting to portray it out in our marketing. We're starting to portray it out on our, our website where people have that opportunity to be like, what's the culture behind this IT company and what's, what's the experience I'm, I'm going to have. And right now we've decided to wear that customer experience on our, on our sleeve and, and say, Hey, like we're here to b- provide the best customer experience. Like, uh, I, I started consulting because I saw consultants when I was working at HP and, and in my circle where they, they provided bad service and they were charging so much money. And of course, naturally, you know, a young kid thinking I can provide great service, but I will charge less money. That's how the business gets started. Right. And then you realize like, yeah, I need a little bit more cash. Like, uh, yeah, I need to be paid a little bit better for, 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 for what I'm doing. You know, that's how you get started. And that's how I got started. I didn't like the way consultants were running back when, uh, back in the early 2000s. And, uh, and I, I had, I had been a consultant and I got paid decently. Um, and then that's when I was like, okay, look, I can do this way better. So we're going to provide, and I, I think, I think that's our goal, right? IT without limits. Um, our goal is you know, like, there's nothing in IT we can't do. We can always think of a new technology, a new service, but it's how we usher our clients into that service. It's how do we provide that customer experience where they're not afraid of the growth, they're not afraid of the change, and, and kind of just keep giving them that excellence that allows for them to worry about a standard cliche answer, right? Let us worry about IT so you can worry about your business, right? And, and truly, that's our goal, right? Like, don't worry about IT. We got that. Worry about your business. And uh, so that's some of the things that we're starting to do now that I think are just going to further improve prove our footprint and our, our hold in the industry. So if somebody is is in that battle between where do I put my money, right? Do I put it in an acquisition or do I put it in organic growth? What are some things that they can ask themselves or some, some questions that you asked yourself when you're making that decision that would help? How about, how about things I should have asked myself? Or things you should have asked yourself. Yeah, even better. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. I think I'm a, I like to tell people I'm a glutton for punishment. So I, I'll go in headstrong and I'll, I'll, I will bang that hammer away until the mail is in, in all the way. And I think one of the questions that I, I would recommend is, is your house in order to where you can handle the growth? What that means, it can mean anything to most people. What I would say, like, do you have good policies and procedures that people coming in could follow? Can somebody pick up your job? And kind of pick up as you give up certain responsibilities like being a tech. So you have to ask yourself, well, one, can I let go of some of those responsibilities? And if the answer is no, I'll never be able to do it. You're not going to grow. If the answer is, yeah, I think I can find a person who's your exact opposite. Who's going to push you out of that? Because when you kind of hem and haw, it's going to take you longer to get out of that. And then. I think the, the 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 last one is is if you're like yeah I'm ready to give up tech or I'm ready to give up this position that other people can handle yeah you're ready to grow yeah yeah uh, and and it's organic right like 
I would say fo- focus on your house where it'd be like focus on marketing, focus on referrals. And if you feel that everything is structurally sound or the foundation has been laid, then create a new problem, which is merger, mergers and acquisitions, right? Because you, you got to look at it like, how are you going to go in with the culture? How, how are you going to take over? People are going to leave. I mean, our last acquisition, I, I had a client literally look at us, even though we're the one acquiring the other business, they looked at us and they're like, we're freaked out. So we're going to go to bed. And yeah. I was like, why are you going to go to bed? Nothing's changing for you in this geographical location. We're just getting bigger. And the, the way I structure it is like our service still has to feel like it did prior to the acquisition. We want our, our clients to feel like they're the only one when they call or they're being taken care of. I don't want that to change. So anytime we go into these mergers and acquisitions or these talks, it's like, I want the same people to pick up the phone that the clients are used to, to speaking with, right? So but that's also, how do you go into the merger and acquisition? If you come in with a wrecking ball and you fire everybody, you're going to have a little bit of client attrition. Right. But if you come in and try and meld, which is very difficult, you'll have less attrition for your clients, you'll have less, less employee tr- attrition. And a lot of times the employees that fall off are the ones who probably feel like something's going to be found out, right? Maybe they weren't quite as um, helpful as they thought. Well, well said, Josh. Well said. So to uh, to close things off, we'll close it off like we do every every one of these episodes with the founder growth five. All right. So um, first question for you is the number one metric or KPI that you are relentlessly focused on. That that is a good one. So um, the first one that comes to mind is client satisfaction. What what is our overall client satisfaction score? And we do that through surveys, and then I do that through technical business reviews. Um, and sometimes I'll send in other people because maybe I don't always get the, the same truth. I, I want that cold, hard truth. You're either happy or you're not. And if you're not, why not? What do we need to do? So I, I would say client satisfaction overall, that's a, that's a huge driver for us. Mm-hmm. Good. Uh, top tip for growth stage founders like yourself. <laughs> get out of your own way. <laughs> oh, no, no. Get out of your own way. If I, and, 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 and find your, find your opposite, find your opposite. That's going to push you to a different level. Find your opposite. That's going to push you as a human, be a little bit better, right? Do, do things out of your comfort zone. Marketing is not my comfort, comfort zone. I do it every day. So do the things that are out of your comfort zone to push yourself. That's good. That's good. All right. Uh, favorite book or podcast that's helped you to grow as a founder. So favorite book, I thought about this one. I listen to a lot of books and I read a lot of books. I'll read and listen and, and all those other things. The easy answer for this one, I think, is the 48 Laws of Power. Hmm. And the, the one law that sticks with me is like not to not outshine the master. And I, and I don't know why that one uh, sticks with me the most other than I think it's the one I violate the most and regret. And then... Now, as the years have gone by, I've read the book several times. Now I consciously catch myself. So uh, the outshining of the master, when you're a, a, an MSP, you're, you're your client's the master, right? Like you don't want to outshine them. Your point of contact, you don't ever want to make them look bad because inevitably you'll lose that contract. So it's, it's how you navigate the personalities, how you navigate the, 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 the egos. 
that one re- resounds pretty strong with me. There's yeah. several others, but but I know we don't have a you know another hour to talk about the individual books, <laughs> and, you know, and all the different aspects of them that drive. No, that's good. That's good. All right, uh, what actor would play you in a movie? I know you got oh, a good yeah. one here. Yeah. So for this one, I I thought about this. So two of them for you. So I would di- I would say David Harbour, who just did Violent Night. Um, just because we kind of have that uh, the same statuesque size. Hmm. But the, the funny one I was thinking of is Alexander Ludwig from Vikings. Uh, because it, it, I've had it multiple times. People pull me aside and be like, hey, were you on that show? Were you on Vikings? <laughs> uh, I garnered the nickname Lothbrok or Ragnar. Oh, yeah. At times. Um, and then people are like, oh, you don't look like Ragnar. You look like his son Bjorn. So I got that one an awful lot. So for that one, I, I would say let Alexander put the play me in a movie. So we're good. Yeah. For those of you listening, the beard combined with the slicked hair, I mean, it, it, it definitely does ring Vikings. Uh, so I guess yeah, I chose not to put the braids in today. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrific. That's terrific. Awesome. All right. So uh, closing us off here, last question on the Founder 5. What is going to be the title of your autobiography? I mean, I can make a couple funny titles. Never, never overlook the redheaded stepchild. <laughs> I think my brother would love that one. Uh, I think your brother would love that one too. I don't even know him. <laughs> but, uh, um, I, I, I don't even really know what a good title would be, other than, you know, here's a guy that loved pain and loved pushing through it. Um, I, I would say a, a simple one word title, perseverance, for as cliche as that might sound. That's good. We're good. No surrender. I, I look forward to seeing how that matches up against the book that you actually write someday. We'll uh, we'll see. Uh, but that, those are those are all those are all good options. Sure. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, well, well, so um, you've given so much to our listeners today, Josh. Just time for a little bit of self promotion. Um, how can those listening help you out? You know, anybody listening who's interested, anybody can reach out to me either through our website, through uh, LinkedIn, anybody who's looking to make a major change in how their IT's ran, either in a co-managed situation or you have an IT company that's just not quite cutting it, who maybe doesn't have everything in their stack, give us a try, give us a call. I mean, there's three major arms to our business. Cybersecurity is one of them. Internal IT help desk is another. We separate the two because yes, they're they're co-mingled, but at the same time, certain things have to be separate and then projects, you know, and deploying systems. So yeah, if you guys, anybody out there who's listening is looking for a change or looking for a scan because they want to better understand where they actually sit. Yeah, hit us up. We we do free assessments and scans. You we're not gonna bug you. I'm not a hard salesman. I'm not that salesy kind of guy that calls all the time and says, hey, I'm going to push this down your throat and got to go with us. So if you're just looking for some information or you want to start a conversation, I'm here for that. Awesome. Josh, Josh Holloway, Seventh Dimension. Such a pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, keep building, man. Great job. Thanks, Jim. Dave, appreciate it. If you loved today's episode of The Dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt.